Now we call this my story, but this is really our part in his story. But this is really my part in his story. It starts with me as a 14-year-old young man. I lived in a predominantly white neighborhood with two black families. Through my years in public education, I was the only black male child in the neighborhood. This was in the suburbs, but it was basically out in the country. Farms and ranches and small little neighborhood area. It was dominated by generational homes. You know, your grandfathers and great-grandfathers bought it, and your father lived in it, and now you have it. I had lots of issues as a kid growing up in my neighborhood, and it always seemed to be race-based. See, I grew up getting into fights with the sons of the fathers who my dad grew up getting into fights with. Hatred was generational in my neighborhood also, it seems. At 14, I'd gotten into so many fights and it was just a part of my life. For some reason, it was instilled in other boys that they had to bully me and try to beat me down emotionally or physically if needed. My father instilled in me an attitude of standing up and feel disrespected. I can remember at some point at 10 or 12 years old that he told me that if I ever came home whipped by one of those white boys, he was going to whip me. So at this point, 15 years old, I had a pretty militant reputation in my neighborhood. You see, if you disrespected me, I would politely advise you about that being wrong. And if you did it again, well, we'd settle it the old-fashioned way. I'd gotten kind of proud of myself and full of arrogance that, you know, no one would fight me anymore one-on-one. It was always two or three or more even. At 15, church a few miles away, First Baptist Church in Bel Air had gotten a major tithing blessing that year before. One of the associate pastors, Pastor Woods, lived in my neighborhood now don't get me wrong, there was a lot of good people in my neighborhood, but there was enough bad ones, and he was one of the very good ones. See, he'd lived there all his life as well, so he'd known my father since he was young, and he knew me since before I knew who he was. You know, to a lot of those people, I was just another kid, which, you know, was nice. It's all I ever wanted to be. I'd get up and help people before going to school, some of the farmers and ranchers that knew my father well. But that summer, First Baptist in Bel Air had decided they were going to buy some used school buses and go around the county picking up at-risk kids and troubled kids and bring them to church, fix some breakfast, have a Sunday school and 11 o'clock service. And anyone that wanted to come back, you come back Sunday evening and have worship then as well. 
well, one of those Sunday evenings, I remember this family that was singing. It was a father and wife, brother, a little sister. Could have been more than six or seven years old. And she was the singer. And I remember thinking that night that God gave that little girl a, a voice that only the Holy Spirit could move. I remember the preaching having an altar call that evening and I don't remember getting up but I remember just seeming like I just floated down the center aisle tears flowing down my eyes I made a mess of myself I would think you see that night God became real to me for some reason he wanted me fast forwarding a few years all the fighting had stopped and there was only compassion and forgiveness in my heart. You know, God had long since taught me that you can't beat hatred out of people. Only love can remove that. A few years later, I came out to Texas to visit some friends from in the military. I'd spend, I expected to be here a few days or a few weeks and here I am 34 years later. You see, God had another plan for me. I came to this church one day after realizing that the end was near in a very troubled, unequally yoked marriage. See, I had the intention of showing my kids the example of a loving Christian family, something that was lacking in our home. But God's intention was different. It was for me bring me back into the flock. You see, God was in my life when I didn't know him. He helped me when I barely knew him. He was there when I chose to keep him locked away in the closet and bring him out when it felt like a good time. Lastly, I think back to 2015. You know, that Sunday afternoon, I was at a friend's house and I got the news that my father had passed. Well, I was numb most of that day, but that next morning as I woke, I was angry. I was angry at God. I thought, could have let me get back there in time to help my father and be with him in those last days. Driving home, I was angry. At the funeral, I was angry. A few minutes after the funeral, I took off and just lost myself driving around Maryland for a few days. Well, a week or so later, when I was heading home back here to Texas, couldn't sleep most of that night so I woke up about 3 in the morning and headed home at 3.06 a.m. I remember the exact time because I was backing out of the driveway and my mother was standing there looking at me. See she was concerned too. She knew something wasn't right with me not just the funeral. Well an interesting happened an interesting thing happened along the way. God decided to drive back with me. 
You see, he was bigger than my anger and my despair. And he understood that my hurt was misguided anger. For some reason, I listened all the way back home to gospel music and sermons that whole Sunday. You see, somewhere in that first few hours of driving, God had spoke to me and calmed my heart and told me that he would never leave me or forsake me. When I finally got home, surprisingly at 3.06 a.m., you see, God had spent the whole drive with me and got me home early. I still remember that 24 hours is some of the best times of my life. And that's my part in his story. Thank you for sharing your story with us. How I wish that all the things you talked about this morning were done away with in our world. Fortunately, we still are fighting a lot of the same old stuff. Guys, if you have your Bibles, I'm in John chapter 20. I know that's a long way from where we left off. We left off in chapter 13. You're saying, Pastor, what happened with those seven chapters? Well, uh, remember, we're focusing on Jesus' interaction with people. And so what happens after uh, the foot washing, and you remember last week, that's where we left off. Jesus washed his disciples' feet, and Peter objected, and so then it became this, this conversation about whether we need our feet washed or whether we need a bath. And Jesus says, Peter, you've already had a bath. And we talked about what it means that when we believe in Jesus, we're not just forgiven, but we are, we're, we're justified. That means made just as if we'd never sinned. That means that we, we're given, and we went back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, what happened is if you were going to be a priest, they would consecrate you with a one-time bath. One time, head to toe, they would bathe you. That was your consecration into the priesthood. And the Bible says that when we believe in Jesus, we're consecrated and we're part of the royal priesthood. We get a one-time bath, a one-time justification. And so what Jesus says to Peter is, hey, you don't need another bath. You just need your feet washed. And then we looked again back in Exodus and what would happen when the priest went about his duties, he would be defiled. And so he didn't need a whole bath again. Instead, they set up a basin uh, between him and the tabernacle and they would go uh, between the altar and the tabernacle and he would go and he would wash his hands and his feet to erase that defilement. We looked at 1 John 1, 9, how John received this, this lesson uh, from the upper room and how he would tell us, listen, it, it, it's God's will that you don't sin, but if you do, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins, right? And he is faithful and just. He will forgive you of your sins and purify you of all unrighteousness. And so we kind of looked at that last week. Now, we're going to take a huge leap from there. And where we're going to pick up this morning is, is going to be on, literally on, on Resurrection Sunday. I know that's weird because it's Palm Sunday, so we're skipping over some stuff. But again, we're focusing on these interactions. And so what happens from where we leave off in chapter 13 is Jesus gets up and he leads his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be teaching the entire way. I'm the vine, you're the branches. I mean, all this kind of stuff. He's going to get to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is overwhelmed at what is coming. The Bible says to the point of death, right? And, and, and you remember, his, his sweat was like drops of blood. And he said, you guys stay awake. You pray with me. The disciples don't. Judas comes. He is betrayed. He is arrested uh, by the soldiers of the temple, by the Pharisees and, and the chief priests. He's put on mock trials. He is beaten. Peter denies him three times, right? And ultimately, Jesus is marched out, led up to Golgotha, where he is nailed to a cross, and he dies. The sky turns black. Jesus is removed from the cross. 
Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take his body and they place it in a tomb, cover it with a hundred pounds. They very quickly prepare him for burial, place him in the tomb. They roll a stone in front of it and eventually that stone will be sealed. And so where we pick up in John chapter 20, it is Sunday morning and the very first person to the tomb on that Sunday, on that resurrection Sunday, will be a woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. So let's see what we can learn from her story. Okay, pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. God, we're so thankful for what we learned about last week, that you have given us a consecrating bath, that we are part of the royal priesthood. That is awesome. And the question we begin to ask, is there anything that could be better than that? Right? Is there anything that could be better than not just forgiveness because you didn't want us to be morally neutral again like Adam and Eve, but, but, but that we actually get, uh, instead of just forgiveness, we get the perfect record of Jesus legally declared. That's our record now. Is there anything better than that is the question that we ask as we enter your text. And I believe your text will, with a resounding uh, yes, Say, yes, there's something better than that. So Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you, come now and you take your proper place in our church as our teacher and our guide, that you would lift up and exalt Jesus Christ in our midst, that you would open our minds and our hearts to his word, that we might see what could possibly be better than that. Teach us, King Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. Amen, amen, amen. And so guys, I'm in John uh, chapter 20. I'm going to read 1 through 18 with you. If you have your Bibles, uh, John chapter 21 through 18. If you don't, use your phone, tablet, whatever you got to do. Uh, let's read the word of God together. It says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. That's John's name for himself, by the way. Don't, don't ever call yourself by name. Just say, the one that they loved. That's it. Just the one that they loved. He said, the one that, that they loved. And, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Okay? So, so two statements. They have taken the Lord, and we don't know where they put him. So, so in Mary's mind, there is a they, and they have stolen the dead body of Jesus. Just understand, that's kind of what she is saying. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading from the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping low, he saw linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but it was folded up separately um, in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw, get this, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. 
Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing that he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Now that's a bold statement right there that a a woman is going to carry the uh, body of a man and that body, remember, is is wrapped in a hundred pounds of spices and linen cloths. But she said, just tell me where he is. I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. Uh, just two things I want to share with you this morning. And, and the first one, maybe you're going to see, like, Pastor, why are we even talking about this? Of course, that's the truth. But, but here we go. Here's the first thing I want you to understand this morning. First lesson we learned from this story of Mary Magdalene. And it's this. It's that Jesus is the risen, living Son of God. Right? Jesus is the risen, living son of God. And I know some of you kind of feel like that point doesn't need to be made. You're like, yeah, duh. That's something my children would say to me. Uh, Duh, yeah, I I, I get that. We know that, that Jesus is risen, that he's the living son of God. But it needs to be said in our text because Mary Magdalene shows up and she is looking for a dead man, right? That's Mary shows up looking for a dead man. Look at verse two, it's on the screen there. And, And it says this, so she went running to Simon and to Peter, to the other disciples, the one that Jesus loved. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. She's talking about the dead body of Jesus. Mary showed up to the tomb expecting to find the dead body of Jesus. And so Peter and John, they hear this. They come, they come running. John inserts kind of a humble brag that he beat Peter to the tomb. Did you guys catch that? Right? And then the one that Jesus loved was faster than Peter. Okay, And so he beats him to the tomb. He looks in. He sees the, the, the cloths on the ground, but he doesn't go in. Peter, of course, being braver than John, enters the tomb. He sees the, the strips laying there. He sees that the, the face cloth of Jesus is neatly folded up and put away separately. Then John finally enters the tomb since Peter's there and he's brave and he's got his buddy. And he walks into the tomb and he sees it. And the Bible says that he believed. Now the question is, what does he believe? Right? Did, 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 did at this moment, did John finally believe that Jesus, in fact, was alive? And some people want to argue, yes. And that's fine if you believe hey, that's, a, that's one interpretation. The other way you can go is that, and he believed what Mary had said, that somebody had taken away the Lord. Right? I don't, I don't care which way you go. Listen to me. Whether John believed at this moment does not affect our salvation. Okay? So whichever direction you want to go, whichever gives you the warm fuzzies, I'm fine with that. Okay? Uh, I, I, I tend to think he's believing what Mary said. It's just my, 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 my gut feeling. Uh, that's not where I was earlier in the week. I was in the other camp earlier in the week, and I was like, eh, I bet he's kind of talking about that. So, so listen, he believed that something had occurred, okay? And, and, and now they're going to go off and tell all the other disciples something has occurred, and Mary stays behind, and you know what Mary does? Mary, Mary weeps, Right? I mean, I mean, Mary is, is, is weeping. And so look at verse 11 here on the screen again. She's still outside. She stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. And then verse 12 and 13 in our text says this. It says, she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been, lying at the head, uh, one at the head, the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? And here's her response again. It's just so telling, right? Because they have taken away my Lord, 
she told them. And I don't know where they have put him. I just want you to see this morning that Mary is here and she's looking for a dead man. So Jesus shows up. Resurrection body, which is, is really cool, evidently has some kind of cloaking mechanism. I hope this comes in my model too, right? You know, get my resurrection body and I can just cloak my identity. Is that really, Jason? I don't know. It kind of sounds like him, right? I don't, I don't know. Cloaking mechanism, whatever it is. Like Mary doesn't realize that it's Jesus. And so she continues the conversation, right? So, so, so Jesus shows up and he speaks to her and he says this to her in verse 15, right? Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? To which Mary replies, second half of verse 15, sir, if you have done this, tell me where you have put him and I'll go, I'll take him away. I'll take care of his dead body. She's looking for the dead body of Jesus. This woman who loved the Lord with everything that she was, and maybe you forgot her backstory. Mary Magdalene at one point was possessed by seven demons, the Bible says. Jesus drove out seven demons from her and she was set free. I don't think you forget that, amen? She, 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 from that point on, gave her life to following the Lord. She loved him endlessly. But when she shows up at the tomb Sunday morning, and some of you need to hear this, Sunday morning when she shows up at the tomb, I want you to understand this woman who had great faith, this woman who had placed great hope in Jesus, the only thing that remains is love for her. She loves the Lord, but she has lost all hope, and she is without faith. Her faith died when her Savior died. So what Mary Magdalene needs when she shows up is she needs the Lord to resurrect her faith. That's what she needs. Her faith, her hope has died until this happens in verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And I want you to see this. The moment that the good shepherd, the moment that the good shepherd utters the name of his sheep, what does scripture say? His sheep know his voice, right? And, and the moment that Jesus says her name, right? Because that's what Jesus said. The good shepherd knows his sheep. He calls his sheep by what? By their name. And so Jesus, the good shepherd, is now alive and he shows up. And when he calls her by name, suddenly she goes, it is you, Lord. It is you, Lord. It is you, Lord. Because the sheep always know his voice. And in this moment, I want you to miss this. In this moment, her faith is resurrected. Her faith is resurrected. Jesus is who he said he was. She learns in this, Jesus is, she, it, it all clicks. This is the sign of Jonah you were talking about, Lord. That you would be in the belly of the earth and that you would conquer death. This is it. You are the risen, the living son of God. And now I see. Amen. Now I see it, right? Yeah. So we have to start there. We have to start there. When we look at Mary Magdalene's story, this encounter with Jesus, we, I, I, I couldn't wait till Easter. We had to start this week. Next week, we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with Thomas, okay? We're going to deal with doubt on Easter Sunday. But Mary encounters Jesus on Sunday morning. You can be thinking about this next Sunday when you're getting dressed to come here. And what she finds is the risen, living Son of God, who is everything that he said he was. All right? So we start there. The second thing we learn from this encounter 
with Jesus and Mary is this. Because of Jesus and his resurrection, we now have a new relationship. Okay? Because of Jesus and his resurrection, we now have a new relationship, get this, with him, with God, and with one another. Okay? It's a big deal. Some people miss this. Because of his resurrection, right? Because of Jesus Christ's risen body, right? Because he is, is the risen living Savior. We now have a new relationship with him, with God, and with one another. I'm in uh, verse, what is that, 17. 17 and 18. I want to draw your attention there. And Jesus speaking to Mary. Mary's like, Rabbanai, it's you. You're alive. You are who you say you are. Like big moment. So she grabs onto Jesus. Jesus says, woman, don't, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me right now because I've got something for you to do. Now there's a whole lot of people that fight about why Jesus is saying don't cling to me and what this means that he hasn't ascended yet. Why does he let other people in other places cling to him? Wait, listen, none of that matters. All right? I'll just tell you what I believe. I think the text should drive your interpretation. I think the context should always be the the first and and, and, and main factor in your interpretation. And and so he says to her, don't cling to me. Instead, go. Like, like, I got something for you to do, Mary. I know this is a big deal. I know you're trying to figure this out, but I need you to go do something, okay? So let go and start to go. And and this is important. Here's what you're going to go do, right? Verse 7, don't cling to me, Jesus tells her. I haven't ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to the Father, uh, to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And so he says, listen, I need you to go and I need you to tell my brothers that I'm alive. Okay? Now, that, that, that word brothers is a big deal because Jesus is not talking about his half-brothers. He's talking about the disciples, and it's the very first time in the text that we will see Jesus call his disciples brothers. Now, you may remember back in John chapter 13, Jesus calls them servants. It's right here on the screen. Uh, 13, 16. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one he's sent. He's like, you're, you're servants, right? Jesus can wash their feet, teaching them, you are a servant, Okay, you're a servant. You're going to be the least. And so he's called them servants. And John 15, he's going to call them friends. Okay, Uh, I don't call you servants anymore. Now you're servants, but I'm not going to call you servants anymore. I'm about to die for your sake. But I want you to know before I do how close we are, Jesus says, I want you to know that you're no longer just my servants. He says, you are my friends. Right? Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from the Father. So he says, now you're my friends. But get this. Get this. All right? Say, how can it get better than justification? How, how can it get better, right? Then I am a sinner. I deserve death, right? I, that, that's what I deserve. We've all sinned and fallen short. How can it get? So, so when I believe in Jesus, I'm forgiven. Hallelujah. That's great, right? But if, if all I am is a forgiven, then I'm just back in the original state of man. I'm just like Adam and Eve. I'm morally neutral. I haven't sinned yet. But I know me, and God knows me, I'm going to sin again. So forgiveness isn't enough. So God then says, I'm going to not only forgive you, I'm going to justify you. I'm going to give you the perfect record of my son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to legally declare that his record is your record. All right? Legally, that's what I'm going to declare. You, once and for all, are the righteous son of God. That's who you are. Once and for all, you are a righteous child of God. That is my legal declaration. And we, get, and we go, wow, that's awesome. Say, so how can it get any better than that? Right? And here's how scripture would answer that. Ready? Because after the resurrection, 
even this relationship changes. Now we become the children of God. It's called adoption, right? Adoption. And so listen, no longer is Jesus just our, our, our savior. No longer is he just our friend. Get this, now he is my brother. Now he is my brother, right? No longer is God just my creator, but now he's my father, right? And no longer are my fellow believers just my friends. They are my family. They are my family. And when the world turns its back on me, I will have these spiritual brothers that will uphold me. You got it? So he says, how could it get better than justification. And hear me, it's hard to get better than justification. I'll tell you the one biblical term that's better than justification. You ready? Adoption. Adoption, where we get full rights as children of God. And that's what the Bible declares happens after the resurrection, after it is finished, after uh, after it is finished, after Jesus conquers death, he says to his disciples, listen, you're not just servants, and you're not, you're not just friends. You are brothers. And then he says to Mary, go tell my brothers, ready? I am going, I'm going to go see my God and your God. Ready? I'm going to ascend to my father, and get this most beautiful phrase here, and your father. God is now your father because of what happens when Jesus conquers death. Because Jesus is who he says he is, because he is the living, resurrected son of God, we can be children of God. Okay? It's a big deal. What do we do with that? Right? How do we kind of pack? I, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know how to... How to I, I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't know how to put a bow on that. It's kind of a big deal. I, I don't know what to challenge people with, but here's what I, I came up with this week. And the first thing I want to challenge you with is, is this, is uh, I really want to challenge you to let the risen living Jesus resurrect your faith. Because here's what um, I came up with, all right? I think there are a lot of people that if we were being honest, um, our faith has, has taken a hit. I think there's a lot of people that walk into churches every Sunday morning and if they were just brutally honest and they, they, they put away the church face and the nice clothes and the dressing up, they might be coming and they might say, you know what, that thing that happened to me, that event, fill in the blank, whatever that event is, it pretty much destroyed my faith. My faith, my hope is pretty much gone. When I, when I lost the job, when my wife walked out, I lost a loved one. My, my faith died. And if, if I'm being honest, that's, that's how I feel. Like I'm here, but, but, I'm, but I'm here. If I'm, I'm being honest, if I'm here, I'm, I'm here just because I'm supposed to be here. And I'm here really kind of looking for something that's died. I want to recapture a moment. I want to recapture a feeling. Uh, Mary shows up and she's looking for the dead body of Jesus. And I, I love you, but I love you enough to say, because I've been there that there are times that I've approached the Bible that way. That I open the Bible not looking for the living, resurrected Lord to speak to my heart, but I open to study it because I'm supposed to. And I want to be honest, it's as dry and boring as Algebra 2. Just, I'm just being honest. 
And some of you, that's where you are. And, 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 and so one, I just want to say like, you're, you're welcome. So I, I want you to come in closer even. You, you need to know this is a safe space that if you're here and you're going, man, I feel like my faith has died. It's dry. I've shown up. I've brought a Bible. I'm opening it up, but I'm not, I'm not experiencing the resurrected Christ in my life. Okay? Listen, Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. Jesus is alive and he wants to be, hear, hear this, this is crazy. He wants to be living in you. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be unactive in you. He doesn't want to be apart from you. He doesn't want to be something that just kind of reigns over you. He wants to be vibrant inside of you. In the depths, and when the Bible talks about the depths, it, it kind of uses a word bow, which feels weird for us. But it's like in the, in the depths of who you are, Jesus wants to reign. He, he, wants to, he, he wants to hurt you in a good way where everything comes out from this place. Every single ounce of breath you have, he wants to be about him. Jesus wants to bring you to life. And if you are here this morning and you are experiencing anything less than that, then here's what I would tell you. Ready? This is cool. Then just be like Mary Magdalene. And just show up and just confess. That's what she does in the conversation with the gardener. I had to walk through. What is she doing here in this conversation? That's Jesus, by the way. All right. So I'm just saying, Holy Spirit here present in our presence right now. Believe the Holy Spirit kind of playing the role of the gardener is, is here. And you're saying to the gardener, I am here and I am looking for something dead. Right? I'm here and I'm going through the motions. I need a, I need a past experience. I need you to point me to a place where it used to be. I need you to, and so you've kind of walked in looking for something dead. And so you just say, just like Mary did to the guard, just say to Jesus, listen, I'm looking for something dead. If I'm, if I'm being honest, that's where I am. I want a moment. I want a memory. I want something, just something to go by, something to, go by, to make me feel a little better and just confess it. Like I'm here looking for the dead version of you, God. And if you'll confess that to him today, here's my belief. If you're his child, he'll call you by name. You're his child, he will call you by name. He'll flat out look at you and say, Taylor, come on, right? He'll just, he'll just flat out look at you and say, Janice, and you will hear him, and in that moment, you will know that he is alive, and that he loves you, and that he wants you to be in a better place than you are now. Will you have that conversation with him this morning and say, listen, God, I just want to be brutally honest. I feel like my faith is dead. I don't, I don't feel you in my life. I've, I've kind of lost hope. I'm really struggling here. God, would you bring me back to life? And, and I believe the promise of Scripture is that he will. Okay? That he will. Second thing. Second thing. Just two, two, two things. Ready? I want to challenge you to take advantage of your changed relationship status with God. All right? Um, anybody remember when Facebook came out? It seems like it was a thousand years ago. You know what I'm saying? Remember the very first time I got on Facebook? It was, it was a long time ago. Like, like, what was it, like 15 years? How long has it been? 
it's been a long time, 14 years, something like that, 15 years. I remember the first time I got onto Facebook and you log in and you put all your information in, you're kind of getting set up and my friends are, friends are contacting me. Hey, how are you? What's up? Blah, 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 blah. And then somewhere like five months later, you realize that you haven't filled out your personal bio information, right? Because then your spouse has logged on. And at some point in, in life, you had to change your relationship status, right? Oh, Jason is now married. Like, well, no, I was married in 1999, but Facebook, now that you've declared it, it must be true, right? But there was, a, there, was a, there was a status change. Listen to me. Because of the resurrection, there was a change in our relationship status. And so that, that, that change, right, that relationship, it, it no longer reads just servant or friend of Jesus, that new relationship is brother of Jesus, sister of Jesus, right? That new relationship with God is, is not just, well, that's my creator. No, it's, that is my father. He's adopted me. That new relationship with other believers is not that they are my friends. It's that they are my family. So here's what I'm going to tell you. We need to walk that out, Right? We just need to like live that out. And, and I think that means a couple things. When we say take advantage of your changed relationship status, number one is uh, I don't know how your prayer life is, but if you ain't praying, something's wrong, right? Be- because there was a time that we had no access to God as Father, right? That, that God, it was just it was God up there in the sky, and, and we just like all the other pagans were throwing prayers up. Oh, please, God, I need some rain. Please, God, don't, don't, don't smite me. Please, God. And we're just like every other pagan on the face of the planet. But now the Bible says we're children, and God knows the needs of his children, and he's a good God. And so when we ask for fish, he's going to give us fish. We ask for bread, he's going to give us bread. He's not going to give us a stone, right? He's not going to give us a stone snake. And so now, now our father is good. And so I don't know how your prayer life is, but if it's not that way, then you need to take advantage of that as a child of God. You need to start talking to your father. Pick up the phone is what I'm saying, okay? All right? Now, second part of that. As a child, here's the thing I feel like most of my, my Christian friends, I mean family, are missing. There's great confidence. There's great confidence. Uh, I'm raising four kids, and my life is nuts. I'm, just, I'm, I'm being dead honest. Yesterday, I just wanted to get out of my house. I was like, I, 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 I know I played a part in creating you, but you are driving me crazy. So when I get there, I'm just like, they know. They know I'm there. They know that. Like, like listen, okay? But no matter what they do, no matter what they do, those kids know that they will always be my children, no matter what. There's great confidence in that, right? Now, now parents, you've got teenagers, you know that that confidence means they talk back to you, they push their boundaries. They, you know what? Praise God for that because that means they know. They know that this is a safe place. Now, could we just take that and apply it to there for a moment. I'm not saying start talking back to God, but I'm saying we need that kind of confidence that God does love me, right? I know so many Christians, you walk around with your head down. Man, God, I messed up. God doesn't love me. You kid, do you know what you miss when your head is down? 
You miss the fact that God still makes the sun come up and go down every day. That he still calls every single star out at night. That he still says to the sea, you can only come this far. No matter what the scientists say. God is in control. Oh, child of God, don't miss that. Right? Don't miss that and your lack of confidence in who you are in Christ. Okay, Be confident. The Bible says we boldly approach the throne of grace. Why, why can we have that confidence? Because God loves us and we are his kids. All right? All right. Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us this morning. We, uh, we wrap things up just by asking that you do a work here in our midst, in our presence. God, you are good. Your love endures forever. Um, This morning, I want to pray for people here that are struggling. In a room this size, with this many people here, there's more than one who needs to have a conversation with you like Mary Magdalene, who needs you to resurrect their faith. And that's okay. God, there are examples of this all throughout Scripture. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief, right? And so, Father, this morning, I pray you do a work just in the next couple of minutes. We ask that in your holy and powerful name. And just with your heads bowed for a second, if you could just honestly, because I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to make you come forward. None of that. You're just going to be on my mind and heart this week in prayer. How many of you this morning could, could just honestly say before God, I need my faith uh, to be resurrected? Just raise your hand. I just need my faith to be resurrected. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. Nine. Let's just pray this together, just, just, just family. Pray this together. Just say, God, you know what's happened. And Lord, you know the hits that I've taken, and you know that it has taken a toll on my faith. And so I'm here having a conversation with you about it, even though I don't want to. But today, I've had a, an encounter with the risen, living Son of God. How else could I have had this message on this day if it were not the fact that Jesus is alive and he was speaking just to me? And so Jesus, I say to you, I say to you, resurrect my faith. Call my name. Remind me that I'm your child and Holy Spirit just in a moment of silence. Would you just do that for each soul that needs to hear it? Would you call their name right here and right now? Jesus, be glorified. Amen.